a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Please welcome in now Jason Beatty. He is the UCF beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel and Orlando Sports. Jason, thank you for taking some time this morning. Absolutely. I'm glad to be on the show with you guys. All right, uh, we brought you on because uh, Taylor Hendricks, uh, drafted by the Utah Jazz with the ninth overall selection, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I read this uh, as the draft was unfolding, is he the first and only draft pick out of UCF's men's basketball program in their history? Uh, not the first and only, but he's the first and only first round Got draft it. pick. Okay. Uh, he's the third all-time, uh, the last was um, 2009, but... Uh, and then another one in the 70s. So he's the third all-time, but he's the first ever one-and-done. He's the first ever first-round pick, uh, first lottery pick, all of the above. So he's definitely uh, one of the most notable for sure. So tell me a little bit about Taylor Hendricks. People around here seem very excited to get him. I've seen and read that he's very athletic, uh, maybe one of the more athletic guys in this year's draft, you know, what, what do you think he's going to bring to the table for the Utah jazz? Yeah, I think he, he really fits what the modern NBA has become. Um, you know, he, he's lengthy, athletic, um, you know, really moves well for his size. Um, and, and he's the ultimate three and D player. So he can go down the offensive court, create his own shot, shoot the three and, and run back and get a block on the other end. Um, you know, he, he was one of the only players in college basketball last season with like 50 plus threes, 50 plus blocks, uh, you know, a bunch of rebounds and, and he can really play, you know, anywhere you need, need him on defense and on the other side of the court, um, you know, he can, he can shoot the ball really well and he can drive for the hole and take it to the rim and, and dunk. I mean, he had the, he was around the rim a lot last season for UCF. Uh, but he extended the floor really well for them uh, around the perimeter. So he's just a really athletic guy. Um, you know, he's obviously coming from a school like UCF. You know, the American Athletic Conference is a good basketball conference with Houston in it and, uh, you know, Memphis and a couple other top teams. But, um, you know, certainly he didn't play, you know, for a school like a Duke or, or, or you know, a blue-blood program like that. But, um, you know, his athleticism is really what makes him different. Um, and, you uh, you know, he, he was on full display throughout the season for UCF. Now, the rep on him, you mentioned, is a 3 and D guy, but I, in most people's eyes, they feel like he can expand his repertoire to become a true uh, modern four in the NBA. And I think the biggest thing the Utah Jazz value in, in this case is a guy who can defend multiple positions. He's 6'9", 210 pounds. Uh, is he a guy, in your mind, that's capable of defending every position on the court, or is he going to be limited in some way defensively? 
Yeah, I think certainly he can defend, you know, the three through the five. Um, you know, I, I think, obviously, I don't think you'd want him, uh, you know, covering small guards and whatnot. I mean, if you get the mismatch, that, that'd be great, too. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he was all over the court on defense for UCF. I mean, he's not, um, you know, a, a big, bulky guy. Um, but obviously, as he develops and, and, and puts on muscle, he'll be able to add to his strength and his physicality. Um, but yeah, UCF used him all over the court on defense last season. You mentioned he maybe needs to put on some muscle. He's 19 years old. How quickly do you think he will be effective for Utah? Yeah, no, I think he'll be able to, um, you know, be an impact right away for them. Um, you know, obviously, Utah has someone like Walker Kessler um, and, and it has talent around the team, obviously. Um, but I think Taylor, you know, as he grows into his body, you mentioned he's only 19 years old. Um, you know, I, I read that he he got asked what's his earliest NBA draft memory, and he mentioned Bam Adebayo getting picked in 2017. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that, that sounds so recent for us, but yeah. that was seven years ago when he was 12 years old. So that's just how young he is, and that's what's most amazing about this is, um, you know, really there's, there's so much upside. You know, I think he's one of the guys in the draft with a lot of upside and a lot of athleticism. Jason Beatty joining us, UCF Knights beat reporter for Orlando Sports and the Orlando Sentinel joining us here on The Zone. And uh, you, you talk about him. He's a guy who is, if I'm not mistaken, born and raised in Florida, born in Fort Lauderdale, if I'm not mistaken, won three state titles in high school there and then spends one, the one season at UCF. Uh, how do you think he'll adjust making the cross-country move out here to the mountains of Utah? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I didn't know exactly where he would land I figured he'd get drafted somewhere in that 7 to 10 range. Uh, you know, obviously, I think the Orlando Magic, it would have been it would have been a really cool story to see him sure. remain in Orlando. But, um, you know, for him to go out to Utah will be interesting. Um, I think it's a, you know, a great move, and I think he's going to really enjoy uh, that part of the country. But you mentioned that he's from South Florida. He won uh, multiple state titles down at Calvary Christian Academy in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and he really wasn't, I mean, he was a four-star recruit, but, um, you know, he, he was, you know, just inside the top 100 for his class. I mean, he was not supposed to be UCF's first ever one and done. <laughs> um, and that speaks to his, you know, athleticism and, and they, Johnny Dawkins and his staff did a great job of putting him in the right spots for him to make plays. And he really developed, uh, you know, as the season went on into a legit NBA prospect. And of course, uh, you know, that's what Utah's getting in him. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I feel like Florida and Utah have uh, something else kind of in common coming up here really quick, actually. Uh, what is the excitement level in Orlando for the move to the Big 12? Yeah, it's it's as close as we've been to July 1, uh, but the last two years since UCF accepted the invitation to the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, there's, there's a special buzz on campus and around the UCF community for sure. Um, you know, this is something that UCF has been working for for such a long time to get this invite to join a Power 5 conference. Uh, you know, of course, you mentioned at BYU, of course, uh, one of the new schools as well, along with Cincinnati and Houston. But, um, no, they're through the roof. I mean, this is this is a, a major milestone, uh, not just for the athletics department, but for the university as a whole. And uh, they're really excited to, you know, to start Big 12 play. Uh, that brings up an interesting question I had for you. It's like Johnny Dawkins is a pretty big name in basketball circles, and the 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 Big Twelve itself, the football obviously is the driving factor in a lot of this when it comes to conference realignment. But basketball in the Big Twelve is going to be a huge, huge deal because, in my eyes, and I think most people's eyes, it's going to be the premier basketball conference in the college ranks uh, for years to come. Uh, how do you think Coach Dawkins goes about uh, keeping UCF competitive? Because I think we've got a similar circumstance out here with BYU looking at Mark Pope and thinking, okay, how are they really going to compete? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, you know, you think of the Big 12 as the top basketball conference for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and I think UCF fans automatically think, okay, UCF, you know, really didn't dominate the America Athletic Conference in their time in the conference. You know, they did make the NCAA tournament in 2019. Of course, we all know about how they almost upset Duke in the second round with Taco Fall and Aubrey Dawkins and B.J. Taylor. But, um, you know, when you get to the Big 12, you don't have to win the league to make the NCAA tournament. You don't even have to finish in third or fourth or fifth. I mean, as long as you don't come in, like, the bottom third of the league, you should be able to make the NCAA tournament. And and in the American, it was really, you know, you have to win the conference or have an extremely strong non-conference showing. So, you know, I'm not saying UCF's going to accept me, you know, being mediocre or, or you know, just going to go with what happens in the Big 12. They obviously want to win the league and, and be competitive sooner than later. But um, I think it definitely is a, you know, a reality check. But also, it's it's a different standard. Um, you know, the, the Big Twelve is competitive, and just because you even if even if you finish in a 500 league record, you know, you're probably in a good chance of making the NCAA tournament, which is something that doesn't happen often at UCF. One of the things I'm most excited about is seeing how everybody kind of adjusts to this move. I got a front row seat to Utah moving. Um, that's the beat that I'm actually on. Interestingly enough. BYU, all all three of their coaches that are kind of in charge of making calls, the head coach, the offensive Speaking coordinator, of and the defensive coordinator, all were with Utah when they actually originally moved to the Pac-12. What is UCF kind of doing football-wise, athletic department-wise, to prepare for this move? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn, of course, is the head coach for UCF football, and he actually recently handed off play calling to a new offensive coordinator that UCF hired. Um, the previous offensive coordinator, who was the quarterback's coach, Chip Lindsey, actually didn't call plays. Uh, Gus Malzahn had called plays for UCF the first two years in Orlando, and that was something 
he, he stopped doing it at near the end of his time in Auburn. He wanted to call plays again. And actually, when he was introduced, he said he would call plays for the rest of his career. So it kind of was an interesting twist when he gave up play calling again. And he did that really so he could focus on NIL and recruiting and become more of a CEO role for the football program. So Darren Henshaw was uh, actually a UCF quarterback, uh, holds a bunch of records. And, uh, you know, he's actually – you know, now the offensive coordinator calling the plays. Uh, but the athletics department as a whole, um, you know, they, they've done uh, different stops with fans. Um, they used to have something called the Charge On Tour, where the coaches would go around the state of Florida uh, to different locations in the state. But this year they actually went national and they had a, they called it the Night Nation celebration. They went to Atlanta, to New York City. Um, the main UCF collective is doing other events throughout the country as well. So, um, they have a lot planned, and I think they're just really excited to, for July 1 to arrive. Now, uh, out here in Utah, obviously, a lot of BYU fans are excited for this move, and they're having like a week-long celebration in the lead-up to this. Uh, they're having, I think, they're, they're having like a big party on July 1. They're having like a, they, you know, Midnight Madness like for basketball. They're having essentially right. like a, a Big 12 Madness on Friday night down That's there in Provo funny. to celebrate <laughs> this. Is that going to be the same type of a deal that UCF? Are they having like a, a series of events leading up to July 1? Yeah, you know, I mentioned the Night Nation celebration yeah. in Atlanta and New York, and, and they have a, they're have they actually doing a downtown Orlando party Got it. Okay. Uh, in August. But um, I, I haven't seen any plans really for, you know, uh, you know, going into midnight July 1 or anything like that. I do know there were some fans that put together a block party near campus. Um, but officially, UCF hasn't really – I mean, the Night Nation celebration is yeah. that exactly what it is. Um, you know, they went, they decided to go national as opposed to hyper local. But um, yeah, I think you know, regardless, you know, fans are excited. And, uh, I think they're, you know, the, I think for a large portion of the fan base, they've already felt like they're, you know, in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, even though July one is officially going to become mm-hmm. members of the Big Twelve, they've certainly acted like Power Five fans for quite some time. Which which programs within UCF do you think are most ready to compete and maybe win some things in the Big 12? Yeah, you know, of course, I think UCF's top athletics team is, is the football program. It's a football school. I think anyone can, uh, you know, would agree with that, of course. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see what UCF can do year one in football. Um, I, you know, I think making a bowl game year one would be great. You know, Gus Malzahn truly believes, I mean, he doesn't just say this to say it, he truly believes that they can win the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, sooner than later. But, you know, beyond football, of course, um, I actually would say softball. You know, Sydney Ball Malone, the program she's built, uh, you know, they hosted a Super Regional um, two years ago this past season. They made the NCAA tournament again for the third year in a row. Um, you know, they've, they've added some key pieces in the in the transfer portal, and they have a player in Jada Cody who's, you know, one of the best hitters in all of college softball. Um, I, I would say softball, you know, certainly in their non-conference, they've played a handful of Big 12 teams the last few years under Ball Malone and have won a majority of those games. So, um, you know, of course they ran into Oklahoma, uh, you know, they didn't host the Super Regional, my bad. They hosted a regional last year. They ran into Oklahoma in the Super Regional last year as a 16th seed. But, um, you know, certainly I think softball is one of the better sports that, you know, could could win right away. 
Jason Beattie joining us, Big 12, uh, not Big 12, UCF beat writer for the Orlando Sun. I'm going to cover the Big 12 as well along the way. Uh, but I wanted to also ask you, in terms of UCF getting ready for the Big 12, the chatter I have seen online, and UCF fans are very vocal, and I love it. I love the interaction, the few times I've kind of <laughs> ventured into that realm. But there is talk down there, and I, this is me reading from thousands of miles away out here in Utah. USF announced that they are going to build a new on-campus stadium, and there's some talk that it may ultimately, if conference realignments comes back around, where they may see themselves get uh, pulled into the Big 12 to team with UCF. How would UCF fans respond to that if their <laughs> their conference rivals, the war on I-4, if USF were a member of the Big 12 alongside them? Well, I think if you ask 50% of the fan base, they would say, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think the other half of the fan base says, you know, yes, absolutely. The, you know, I think these two programs love to hate each other, um, and, and whether or not they want to admit it, I think, um, you know, let me put it this way. I think USF picked a really bad time to be bad at football, um, yeah. and that's just sure. kind, of, sure. that's kind of unlucky for them. Um, you know, if they have been a more competent football program, we all know football drives all of this conference realignment, as you mentioned earlier. You know, certainly I think the Big 12 would have loved to add the one I for Rickett Stewart's conference. Um, you know, obviously it's not the most historic uh, college football uh, rivalry, but it certainly had its moments. You know, 2017 one I4 was one of the best football games uh, of the season that year. Um, and in all of their sports, it's always competitive. I mean, UCF certainly has dominated the rivalry in recent years and whatnot through various sports, especially football. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if USF could actually build its on-campus stadium and, and and really get its act together in football. You know, Alex Golish is the head coach there, former UCF offensive coordinator mm-hmm. under Josh Heupel, is now in Tennessee. Um, you know, if they can get that going and actually show commitment to facilities, to fundraising, um, certainly it would make a lot of sense down the line for the Big 12 to invite USF and, and continue that rivalry once again as conference mates. But um, I think there's a lot of UCF fans that could listen to this interview later and say, what the heck is he talking about? No way, Jose. So, uh, you know, but that's the rivalry. That's, that's yeah. what I said before. They love to hate each other. Well, here's the thing. It's one of my favorite rivalry names in all of college sports, the War on I-4. It's like the perfect name for it, but it's, it's really fun. And we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to track it. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you more as, truthfully, the, the Big 12 comes to Central Florida and also to BYU, Jason. Appreciate you carving out some time for us here in Salt Lake City. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, there you go, Jason Beatty, uh, UCF beat reporter for Orlando Sports and the Orlando Sentinel. And- I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.